Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am Matt Bennett. I am back with a very special guest today, Dr. Donna Schumann. Uh, I came across Donna's work uh, in the AAPB uh, journal, and as our listeners know, uh, I have a real passion for heart rate variability, especially when it applies to the work in mental health, and especially uh, with the work around trauma. And uh, I saw uh, Donna's article uh, about using uh, HRV biofeedback uh, with veterans with PTSD, and I, I reached out uh, and uh, wanted to get her on the show to talk about both the, the article and her research here, but just in general, uh, her work with heart rate variability. So Donna, welcome to the show. Um, I would love to just get a, uh, just a brief introduction of, of who you are and maybe a little bit about what uh, brought you to heart rate variability. All right. Well, thank you for having me on your on your podcast, Matt. I really appreciate that. And I love talking about my work. So what brought me to heart rate variability um, biofeedback was uh, I worked as a psych tech back in the 1980s in an inpatient facility for adolescents. And I saw what we were doing with biofeedback then, and it was very popular uh, with the with the patients. They they got a lot of relief from it, from their symptoms. There was good tolerance for it. And so I was always interested in it. I was a technician. I, I just simply observed, but I always had that in the back of my head. One of these days, you know, I would love to do that job. And so flash forward a lot of years and I'm working in, um, I'm, I'm working as a social worker um, with uh, aviators at Fort Rucker, Alabama, and they were flying. And uh, this was back in, you know, 2009 to 2012, a, a time when there was quite a lot of stress, uh, combat stress. Yeah. And uh, we were kind of casting around for solutions to improve treatment. And so I, you know, I started doing some heart rate variability biofeedback using some older programs and software, just some really simple stuff. And the Army supported my interest and uh, sent me to training and and uh, supported my getting certified in heart rate uh, in a general biofeedback. And uh, I did the certificate at, at the time they had like a specialty certificate for heart rate variability. I know they have a certification now. And, and then later neurofeedback, I added that also. But I was working with um, helicopter pilots who were coming back with PTSD and uh, significant symptoms. And of course, you know, they wanted to keep flying. They wanted to, they wanted relief from symptoms. They couldn't take certain medications or they would have to get a downslip. 
So uh, biofeedback seemed like a, you know, a, a, a very good solution. And so I had a wait list very quickly. And I always started with heart rate variability biofeedback because it was, it really helped calm a lot of the symptoms. I saw um, a lot of really good results in, in the clinic. And I had the luxury of doing, um, you know, as many sessions as needed to, to get results. Um, and while I was there, I decided that I wanted to go further and I wanted to get a PhD and I wanted to do research. And so um, I had this idea that, you know, we needed to maximize clinic resources because we had a pretty, we developed a long wait list. And, um, and even though um, I was, you know, trying to, to do as much as I could, there was only so much that I could do after a while when, you know, word got out, it was popular. Um, the, the, uh, the soldiers we were treating really liked it a lot and, and they were getting relief. They were sleeping better. We're finding their, you know, getting relief from trauma symptoms. They were able to keep flying the army like that. The soldiers really liked that <laughs> a lot. Um, so it was a win, win for everyone. And so I thought, well, maybe we could figure out how many sessions would it take? You know, maybe we didn't need to do all those sessions. Maybe we could, you know, do, do this in fewer sessions. And so, so I, I, I started working on that during my doctoral training. I, I, I was working on a PhD in social work at university of Texas at Arlington. And um, they, it was very interdisciplinary for me. I was able to pursue my biofeedback research. I was delighted about that. And so um, I was looking at, you know, would this work with a single session if we could augment it with maybe, you know, using uh, like inner balance or some mm -hmm. kind of, uh, of, of a, a home training tool. And so um, I, in my dissertation research, I, I, I had a very small sample. I think, I, I think we had maybe 12 and it, it was very small and mostly it was, it was just a, a, a a feasibility study to see if this would work. Would we get results? And I think, you know, we we did get uh good results from that. I I, I did see that, but the um it, it the sample had fairly mild symptoms. So they yeah. responded well, but they responded well with very mild symptoms. So so um after I graduated, I went to work for the University of Kentucky as an assistant professor and started doing research with the Lexington VA there uh, with veterans who had much more severe PTSD symptoms. And so I, at, based on what I learned during my dissertation, that one session was probably, it was not going to be enough. I, I worked with, um, so I worked with Dr. Jack Ginsberg on developing a protocol. He was adamant that one session would not be enough and, and, and had some doubts about three. Um, but I wanted to try to get it to three to see, can we, can we do this with three? Mm -hmm. And I um, had, you know, I, I spoke and consulted with Dr. Tony Hughes. He had a five session protocol he was using. Um, I looked at Dr. Lair's protocol and was trying to figure out what, you know, were the elements here that we would keep in this and, and, and try to get it down to three sessions. So uh, we had uh, two groups, a control group and, and then the intervention group and the intervention group, they did uh, the three clinical sessions of uh, heart rate variability biofeedback training. And I used a live uh, Pioneer software. 
and I used the breathing pacer uh, optimizer that that was built into that program. I love that software. It's just amazing, really, uh, for clinical work. Mm-hmm. And um, I used electrocardiogram measures using uh, the the uh, BioTrace and Nexus Ten, um, and um, and then I measured them before and after the three clinical sessions, and then we. Uh, had them, uh, my research assistants and I worked with them around using the um, heart math interbalance device for home training, thinking if we do three clinical sessions and we have this home training going, uh, and and then they continue doing the home training after the three clinical sessions for four weeks, that uh, we would see good results. You know, that that was the hope. And so we looked at depression and PTSD symptoms And um, so what we found was uh, we had marginally significant results for uh, PTSD symptoms, intrusion symptoms very specifically. We did get significant results for SDNN, the time domain measure uh, that's sort of a, you know, the big broad Mm -hmm. measure for autonomic balance. And um, and so we did see significant results uh, with that improvement. And we also um, had um, some some significant results for depression. So that was exciting too, because depression uh, it's a, it's a fellow traveler. It's you know it's a yeah. comorbid symptom with with uh, PTSD. And so um, so even with the brevity of the intervention, we were able to see um, some good results from it with with our um, with our participants. So um, I'm happy to talk more about that. If you have any questions about that, yeah, I'll stop I, I would love because to. I've been talking a lot. Yeah. Well, one of, one of the things that I, I would love to get your kind of thinking on is like, when, when I usually, at least in my conceptualization, when trauma escalates to being post-traumatic stress disorder, because not every traumatic event necessarily leads to that diagnosis and I won't even get into the controversy around diagnosis with trauma and developmental sure. pieces and all that. Uh, so so you, you, you reach a certain level to get uh, PTSD. And I usually think of that as your nervous system has, in many ways, developed traits resulting from your trauma. So it's not like, hey, I, I experienced this really hard thing on Tuesday. Wednesday, I was really messed up. Thursday, I was okay again, you know, that there's like, there's in many ways, a long term and probably with heart rate variability, if we tracked it, we would see a decrease in a a lower level of HRV probably over time, after the traumatic event, if we had that metric, which we usually don't. So so when you're looking at these interventions, I'm, I'm assuming if we look at like the nervous system polyvagal language, we're looking at using heart rate uh, variability biofeedback to help, if I could use the word, and, and you can uh, feel free to correct me here, heal that that long-term nervous system functioning. So I'm really fascinated with this short-term interventions where you are getting uh, so, some really measurable results. How are you conceptualizing helping a dysregulated nervous system uh, start to regulate using biofeedback uh, as the tool to help do that? Um, 
I want to go back to what you said a little bit earlier when you were talking about uh, the variability in PTSD symptoms. So in the study, uh, all of the uh, participants had clinically defined PTSD and met criteria for PTSD at the time we did we did this study. So, um, and then how am I conceptualizing this idea of 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 uh, um, uh, <clears throat> healing the, the nervous system. And I think within, within polyvagal theory uh, and um, with, within, um, you know, other, other ways that, that researchers have looked at it, that it causes this, you know, this, this um, um, neuroendocrine cascade, a positive neuroendocrine cascade of, that, that heals the nervous system uh, is, I think you know that really the best way, the best way to describe it is the resonance that's created from doing the intervention. Um, it, it causes a, a positive um, changes in the body that um, that you know start to dial down the the symptoms. Awesome. And, and if you if you're and, and I this may be a hypothetical, so I, I just kind of maybe speculation. I, I think your research can inform some of this answer. But but as we look at, you know, again, uh, if I can use my language and correct me if, if you look at this differently, but I think we're, we're talking the same thing is that a tra trauma dysregulates the nervous system. We're using HRV biofeedback to help bring back regulation. You know, when we look at, you know, the intervention, uh, you know, I, what, what I was fascinated with your article and, and your work is, you know, really looking for, again, I'm going to use words that you're probably not using, but almost a minimal dose of HRV biofeedback to see improvements in that regulation. And from a military perspective, which might be different than the veterans that you work with, I want to acknowledge that, is really the getting them back to performance. Uh to, to fly in the helicopters in your uh, initial work with this. So as, as you start to look at this and, and doing this research and really getting into the data, we, when you look at PTSD, uh, do, do you have an idea? And I'll let you use like clinical plus maybe at home practice. If you were to start to formulate a minimum dose uh, to start to see uh, positive trends in HRV, knowing it's individualized. But what, what would be some of your, uh, again, maybe assumptions, speculations, or maybe if you want to speak with more confidence on it, what what would you say, here is what the protocol would be to help someone start to recover from those that traumatic experience that they've had? I think what, what I figured out is uh, there there's no standard minimum dose. It really does have, it depends on the symptoms and the time, you know, the constellation of symptoms, yeah. like it seems like intrusion symptoms responded um, better than um, avoidance symptoms or, and, you know, uh, the uh, mood symptoms took longer to, mm. you know, respond, but they did significantly. Um so I don't think there's a minimum dose. It, it, it's very dependent upon the person who comes in. Some people after a few clinical sessions are going to start uh, to see some relief and, and um, but, but others are going to take uh, many more sessions to see relief. So 
um, it, it just depends, I guess. It, we, we were hoping that we could come up with a minimum protocol or, or a protocol that would point to, you know, uh, a minimum number uh, of, of sessions, but that, that didn't happen. What, what we saw was it, it just depended on severity. And, you know, there were some really good things about the, uh, this type of intervention that, that were obvious. And uh, one thing was it's portable. If we train them to use the the you know the the interbalance, they could take that. They could use it anywhere. One of the issues we had was, of course, follow through. Yeah. It, it, you know, it 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 it's hard sometimes for them, for um, <clears throat> for participants or or for patients to see that that's what's helping them. They don't. Yeah. I mean, if there was a way that we we could. Uh, reinforce it better or, or they could see that yes this this practice is what is helping you sleep better this practice is what is right. helping you tolerate difficult situations and um uh, better I'll, I'll talk a, a little bit about that anecdotally uh, um a participant that i worked with that had a, a really interesting result um so it you know just the portability of it the it's practical it's portable they can do it more often so if they only had three clinical training sessions to really reinforce this is why you need to do it this is how you do it Uh, and then they've got that homework trainer that they're using um that they can use it more often as needed and uh we just need to figure out how to how to motivate them to do that yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny with, with optimal HRV. Uh, the, one of the things that we really wanted is to provide clinicians and researchers a dashboard uh, so they could track. And, and so we put in all this work and one of the, probably the best feedback we get is it's an accountability tool because if somebody knows that you're monitoring their practice and you get that data, right. it's not all the fancy charts and the fact you can get time domains and no, none of that really matters. It's just the fact that they know somebody yes. can log into yes. a dashboard Someone's and see looking. if they do it or not. <laughs> and, and with our, with our uh, veterans and people working in the military, it's amazing that if somebody's looking at making sure you're doing and following through all of a sudden we see adherence jump dramatically uh with that none of the fancy graphs or anything that we've worked so hard on it's just the fact that somebody's there uh uh holding you accountable uh to and cares and cares about your progress i think that's absolutely absolutely really important too and uh uh helps a great deal with motivation yeah i was uh, wanted to share a story about one of the participants I worked with just to illustrate the power of these simple interventions. Uh, they're humble, but they they are powerful. Yeah. Um, one, I, w- I was working with a veteran who he, he was driving a truck and he was having a lot of panic symptoms going over bridges from, you know, IEDs and mm. when, when he was deployed and it he was driving over a hundred miles out of his way on his route and it was really affecting his job and he had signed up for my study and during this study with the um you know the work with the hrv and 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 the home practice he started he he began to to have more confidence and and he started you know driving over bridges again and yeah and I that's awesome, that, that is that's amazing you know if if uh it's it's a tool it's not a cure but if it can uh provide the 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 
people who use it with, uh, you know, a way to get through a difficult situation, a way, I, I, another veteran I worked with, he, he was able to attend his daughter's wedding uh, after he started uh, doing HRV biofeedback because he could tolerate being around people and in, you know, a, a more uh, socially dense situation longer. He was able to get through the ceremony and considered that a real win. So um, it, it can, I really think that it can help uh, with symptoms enough that um, our, you know, uh, whoever has trauma who needs this type of an intervention can start to carve back and get, you know, reclaim pieces of their life and their, you know, ability to, to have good quality of life back. So, um, yeah. So now what I'm doing, uh, I'm not doing any research with biofeedback right now. I've been working with One Tribe Foundation. This is a, um, um, a, a foundation that serves veterans and first responders, uh, whose mission is suicide prevention and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, for, um, that's their primary mission, but, uh, they, they do other work as well. And, and so I'm seeing, um, uh, veterans and, and spouses of veterans for biofeedback through them and, um, and doing mostly heart rate variability biofeedback with them. And, and as a, as a, um, service project, is what I'm doing now and in the hopes that we'll be able to get a research project off the ground again soon in the future. Awesome. Well, I, I want to thank you for that. S such important work that you're doing uh, with that. Uh, something that's dear to my heart with that. I I'd love to ask you, uh, and this again, I, you know, with researchers, I, I want to give permission to speculate because I know, I know <laughs> if you don't have hard data in front of you, I, I, I'm not holding you to this. So, so let's, let's move in and let's, unless you want to say, I can speak to this with confidence because I have the data to back it up. But one of the, the, the earlier experiences in your career really fascinates me because I, I really think when you talk about it, from a nervous system perspective, it's, it's in many ways a unique um, experience, knowing that there's a whole lot of pain and suffering around it. And I want to acknowledge that uh, piece of this, that it's not just, hey, I want to nerd out about this because it's interesting to me. I know, I know that that's there. Of working with uh, those helicopter pilots early on is what, what, what we see and what, where this, I think, is a, a, a fairly unique experiences is you have a high performer, somebody who can fly, you know, million, 10 million, hundred million dollar helicopter in combat situations. So, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop as far as performance and, you know, response time and, you know, you've got a heightened nervous system that can respond incredibly well in high stress, life-threatening situations experience trauma to the point where that high performing nervous system gets dysregulated to the point where it might not be safe to be in the helicopter and, and you're you you worked with people not only to recover but then get back to that high performance state where we trust them again to fly combat missions in hundred million dollar sure. pieces yeah. of machinery with lives at stake and I just would love to get your conceptualization of not only recovery, but but really thriving. Because I think a lot of times in the trauma work, we we just want 
you know, sometimes we just are working so hard for recovery, uh, but, but you're really almost talking about post-traumatic growth in a very intense situation. I, I'd love to just, what were you seeing there? What, what do you think was happening underneath the skin with heart rate variability, the nervous system? Just again, I give you permission to speculate, but in that work that you were doing, uh, what, what do you think was going on um, to, to do that really important healing and then growth recovery and then back to high performance? So um, I worked with the, when I was working with aviators, I was working with their goals. Um, and also, you know, safety was a tremendous factor as well. Yeah. Some of them did not return to flying. That was not going to be, you know, it wasn't in their future to return yeah. to flying. And that was, uh, they realized that was not a goal they, that they even wanted to pursue or could. Many of them did. Most of them did return to flying. Some of them had to take a break. Yeah. They had to take a downslip for a while and until, you know, they they were able to get their symptoms back under control. Um, and um, and and some of them were able to continue flying uh, throughout. It, it just really depended on on the individual. And um, but I will say that not all of them were able to return to flying, um, yeah. although most of them were. So we, I worked with them around, you know, uh, learning uh, basic uh, breathing exercises and mindfulness and uh, things like autogenic training and, and uh, progressive muscle relaxation. We did a lot of, you know, just the real traditional stuff as well. And then, and the heart rate variability biofeedback. And I think it just, it, it is very calming to the nervous system. And when they were able to begin to have mastery over these symptoms and see that a lot of it, it could have just have been a dysfunctional breathing pattern under stress, uh, that they were able to correct that. And they were able to see some of the, the physiological symptoms of that start to abate. Uh, it gave them more confidence and and uh, and realizing ah, I have control over my physiology, yeah. and they and so you know as their um, their self efficacy there increased, uh, their symptoms decreased. They were able to return to those activities that you know that they were performing before. I think uh, there's a lot of it that we still don't quite understand about how fully how it all works, but. Mm -hmm. um, some of it we do and in uh, a lot of it we do and and so you know just um if if you can stop the the stress hormones flowing into the the body and and uh, you can get some healing then then you know the nervous system starts to calm down and yeah. and it is surprise it's always been surprising to me how quickly that can happen and i think that it happens quickly because um the correction and dysfunctional breathing and then breathing not against your uh you know your 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 cardiac system and your respiratory system your your blood pressure and all of that working uh together and not against each other you know this idea that you're pressing the the gas pedal and the brake at the same time i yeah. think i saw a, a lot of uh, uh active duty um, uh, personnel who were experiencing that. And did you see like one of the things, you know, because my, my, my initial work, uh, in my career has been more around homelessness, like that side of 
trauma, um, you know, working in child welfare, foster care systems, uh, addiction, th those sort of arenas where, where we're trying to sort of in some ways get get back to a, a level of functioning that may have been lost early on in childhood uh, due to the horrific traumatic experiences. You know, we're trying to get people, of, if their goal was to get back, you know, into flying. Did you see that, like, the the education, because this is one of just my passion of mine, kind of the, the psychoeducational piece of, you know, this isn't that there's necessarily something wrong with you uh, sort of thing, that that the, the concreteness of the nervous system for people that were probably pretty hard and self-driven, did, did you see that just education and understanding uh, also impact kind of uh, their motivation to engage in these interventions? I think tremendously when when people know what's going on in their bodies, when they know what's happening, it's not as frightening for them. Yeah. Uh, in, and, and when they can see through biofeedback, like, for example, that they have control, that they that they can make changes in, in their, uh, in their physiology and quickly, yeah. uh, it, they feel very empowered. And, and I think that, um, gives them, you know, um, mastery over trauma symptoms. So Absolutely. it's, it's it, it really is, is it, it's great when you, when you can watch that, you know, the light bulb moment when that happens, when, when they realize, wow, I, I, these symptoms are happening in my body. They're very disturbing. They're very distressing. I feel out of control, but, but I do, you know, there are things I can do to, to uh, dial that down and, and, and uh, reassert some control. Love it. So again, maybe entering speculation again. So, so just want to throw that, uh, give, give you permission to do so, but I'm, I'm curious about your current work um, and this may be, again, speculation, not necessarily where your work is at right now, uh, but with first responders and another population that I've I've been exposed to uh, more so with my heart rate variability work. Just curious about uh, the preventative side of this, uh, knowing that police officers, EMTs, uh, you know, I work with a lot of emergency rooms, folks, we're, we're going to experience you know, things that could potentially be traumatic for the individual, you know, I know things that if I just like would experience what some of the folks I work with experience on a typical Monday today would be totally overwhelming and traumatizing to me. It's just there Monday morning and it's probably going to be even worse in the afternoon, potentially. I wonder just, again, it might be speculation on your point, but looking at HRV biofeedback, uh, you know, in the research article, we're looking at it as a treatment approach kind of would love to get maybe again, speculation or just thinking that you have about what if we started this in basic training or I'm I'm really working with some, I, I wanna get into nursing schools where we know burnout rates, medical schools, uh, police academies uh, to, to start to get this in there early on as a potential preventative uh, piece of this, uh, building resiliency of the nervous system ahead of time and love to get your, you just kind of your response to that, your speculation about how this could be used as a, uh, if preventative's the right word uh, uh, measure as well. 
I love that idea. I really do, actually. And and think that, you know, we could start in elementary school. Yes. Honestly, uh, using um, simple heart rate variability, um, biofeedback, you know, now that we've got mobile apps and yeah. it's, it's just so easy to use a smartphone uh, for these that, uh, and every kid has one. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, that, that this, you know, these simple interventions could be, they could be, well, they, they could be taught preventatively, yes. And uh, I think, you know, it, it would be very helpful. It won't prevent trauma from happening, yeah. but it will definitely help with managing, you know, the the uh, fallout of it, for sure. Yeah, and, and I, I'm curious about just, I, you know, I'd love to get your thought on this because while it, pro I, 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 I totally agree with you. It won't prevent all trauma. I, I wonder, especially if we let's go to the military folks here. Uh, again, maybe speculation on this, but if let's say we in basic training had people practicing twenty minutes uh, of HRV biofeedback. I, I love resonance frequency breathing. So resonance frequency breathing, twenty minutes a day. I, I wonder, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. If we don't get a nervous system that might, that might, like some sort of, let's, let me, let me put this in uh, understandable language, that we sort of increase the resilience of your nervous system. So things that might be traumatic if I'm not practicing because they're overwhelming, they may not rise to the level of trauma. There still would be things that would rise to the level of trauma. But do you think we could maybe minimize PTSD? experiences if we get this as a preventative measure not all ptsd experiences to be very clear but i wonder if we kind of raise the resiliency of the nervous system to prevent some experiences of uh things rising to the level of trauma if, if that makes any sense to you i'd love to the, theoretically that that could uh, sure, and that uh, a more resilient nervous system is is probably going to respond better, and uh, it could, you know, uh, maybe result in when uh, someone has a very traumatic experience that could possibly end up resulting in PTSD. Maybe it doesn't, but yeah. maybe it, you know, it's more of a, a an acute stress reaction. That's maybe it's a milder reaction that doesn't, you know evolve into full-blown PTSD we don't know you know yeah. but theoretically uh, I would I would think that we could say that it's possible that 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 would be the result yeah love to do a research project with you that we were so successful <laughs> yeah. they had to cancel the project and get the control group in right away that that would be my my dream uh research project so uh let me, I, I, whenever I get HRV experts uh, on, on the podcast, I always love this question. And I, I love it because there's always this event. Um, I, I know there was in my, my own career. I never knew it would lead me to where I'm at today doing an HRV podcast. But there was that, that initial, when you were a psych tech, uh, I, I remember I was working in a residential child welfare facility when I first saw my first piece of biofeedback uh, equipment. Probably wasn't even good or accurate, but I, I was like fascinated by the technology uh, part of it and have been a nerd about it ever since. 
So, so you, you've seen this field uh, and you have grown uh, with this field um, over a couple decades uh, now. I, I would love to just get, if you, if you were to look ahead, uh, you know, when, when you're looking ahead five, 10, 15 years with your experience in the field up to this point, where do you think we're, we're going? What, what do you think are some of the things we're going to be thinking about, measuring, studying, um, uh, moving into the future? Where, where do you think we're going with all of this cool science coming out? I think that um, bio, biofeedback will be integrated into uh, virtual reality uh, that it'll be commonplace to have access through, you know, I think that the, the, like Apple watches are getting more accurate yeah. with, with certain types of feedback um, in health measures. I think that we'll see um, where everybody has access to information about how their uh, body is functioning in, in, in different uh, bio uh, metrics they'll they'll be able to see in in real time their hrv you can do that on your watch now it'll be a lot more accurate it'll be in every game so you can see how you're functioning you know as you're playing um, a video game or a, uh, if you're in virtual reality we'll see it there we'll see a lot more um, integration of, i think ai into with biofeedback it'll become uh where what once was something that was done in a clinic yeah. uh, is probably going, it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be more ubiquitous in our lives, in our daily lives. And we'll start to probably use that information to, you know, um, make decisions about what we're doing. It, we, um, you know, we already do when your watch tells you to stand up or uh, that you need to stand up, you can stand up. Yeah. If you see that your heart rate's too high, uh, if you're looking, you know, at, at heart rate variability, you understand those metrics, then, then you know, that it tells you when to work out or not. Uh, it, we start to make decisions based on on our uh, our physiology. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's that's where it's headed. It's going to be embedded into many aspects of our lives. I mean, you, I've seen shirts that give you, you know, that you can wear that will give you that information. I think it'll be integrated into more of our, like our clothing or yeah. uh, it'll, it'll, we'll start to see that kind of thing. So um, we'll see that. And I think on, on the other side, I mean, we're, we're going to start to understand uh, more about you know, relationships between, um, like, like, for example, trauma symptoms and, and maybe, uh, different psychophysiological, uh, profiles. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that, that work will become more developed as well. So, I, I and, and I know, you know, on, uh, a, a lot of that is well underway, you know, around, around the world. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, well, and I want to celebrate you and your work because one of the things is this biometric revolution is just taking off with, as you mentioned, smartphones, the Apple Watch, we're, we're all rooting for <laughs> to, to get there. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it's also, I, I think what, what your work does and so many of the, the people that I get to interview on this podcast is also using the biometrics as a tool for healing, growth, and resiliency 
as well. I think that it can get missed as we're so busy tracking that that sometimes we we forget that oh there's this whole complementary science here where focus on breath uh other i you know silly things like gargling and things like this can also improve heart rate variability as well and and i just want to celebrate you and your work for taking this science and really helping individuals who who are struggling with a lot of anxiety pain ptsd um, and using it uh, as a tool for healing. And I, I just, such an honor to to meet and talk to, to folks uh, such as yourself who are, are taking this to really help make people's lives uh, better. So uh, I want to celebrate you as part of this future as well. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you. So, so great episode. Uh, I, I will uh, put uh, some information about Donna in our show notes. Uh, you can find those at optimalhrv.com. Uh, Donna, thank you again for all the amazing work you do, uh, sharing that work uh, with our audience. Uh, I'm excited for that next research project. And uh, when it happens, uh, I would really love to have you back on the show uh, to talk about how your work progresses um, in this field, because I, I find it the article I read, I was like, I got to get Donna on the show. Uh, so thank you for your work uh, and all that you do. Absolutely. I'll keep you posted. And thank you for the work you're doing to get the word out. That That is phenomenal. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we'll see everybody next week.